culture where billions of dollars are spent on marketing and advertising, we can quickly forget it feels like how the Lord really is not just enough, but more than enough. I can quickly think that there may be something else that I need and forget the words that we just sang that I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing that compares to the love of God. This morning, I'm not going to say anything new if you're a believer in Christ. And that brings me great comfort. But it's my prayer that as we share this great gospel that our hearts are captivated anew by the love of Jesus. There's something I just want to share before we even jump in. Uh, preaching is very personal. And at times you try and walk a line to not share just all of your personal stories and make sure that you stay with the word and provide a word that's for the congregation as well as personal. Today it's going to be all personal. I. I feel that in my soul, and I believe that it'll also be congregational if the Lord should say the same. But Joe Mark challenged me on Thursday. Well, she didn't mean it as a challenge, but when I shared just some of what God was placing on my heart, she said, you're going to cry. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to prove you wrong. And I did, because on Friday, I was sobbing. Just at the revelation of the truth of God's word. And even as I was sitting in the back talking to my brother, Sean, I just felt it building up on the inside again because this is a word that I need to hear again and again and again. So we're going to be diving into Exodus. We're going to start at chapter 27, verse 20, and we're going to be in 28 and 29. Now, I want to just apologize in advance because of the interest of time. We have to turn this place over so that Bonnie and her uh, dancers can come in and practice. So I'm not going to read through all of chapter 28 and 29 like I would like to. I'm going to uh, jump over a few verses so that we can, in the interest of time, make it through the passage. But I do want to encourage you over this week to please read chapters 28 and 29. I believe it'll be good for your soul even to go back and remember uh, to see again more of the detail of God and his word and how he's very particular and how he's very gracious and loving. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'll announce which verse I'm jumping down to so that you can stay with me. If you're looking at the screen, it'll flow based on the sermon or the passages that are going to be read. Before we jump in, though, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you in your grace and mercy make yourself known to us, that we might declare with the angels that you are holy, 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 and there is none like you. Lord, we thank you for your word that reminds us of who you are and who we are in Christ. On this morning, as we hear this great gospel once again, I pray that you would captivate our hearts and minds, that we would see you rightly and respond rightly to you, that we might leave here knowing that you are more than enough, that you are all that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Exodus chapter 27, starting at verse 20. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. 
Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine-twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine-twined linen, skillfully worked. Verse 9. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one, of the, on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set on them two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders of remembrance. For remembrance. Verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones. Verse 21. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name. For the purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall, make them, you shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band on the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, 
and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Verse 21. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and on the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Verse 35, thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also, you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we've seen over the last four weeks, we've been walking through the instructions that God has given Moses for the building of this sanctuary, a sacred place where God could dwell with his people. We talked about the furniture and the tabernacle and all the detail that God gave to the people of Israel. Now, Moses is still in the mountain that looks like it's surrounded by devouring fire, receiving instructions. And God now makes this transition from giving instructions for the sanctuary to giving Moses instructions for the servants that will serve his purpose in the sanctuary. And so we see the same kind of detail and instruction as we read through chapter 28 and 29. It wasn't, what do you think? Who do you think it was this person, this material constructed this way for this purpose? So we see right out the gate that the priesthood belongs to God. This was God who established the priesthood. It wasn't Moses' idea. It wasn't Aaron's idea. And because God establishes this role, God is the one who gets to define the responsibilities of the role and the requirement for the person who would serve in that role. And so here in chapter 28, verse 1, the Lord tells Moses to get Aaron and his sons so that they can serve him as priests. And he tells him to find the skillful people that he placed the skill in to make some garments to consecrate Aaron for my priesthood, God says. This is his priesthood, not Aaron's priesthood. So Aaron is going to be a steward for God's purposes as he serves in the priesthood. But God makes it very clear, this is my priesthood. And then the Lord goes on to tell Moses, the garments that shall be made. You shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. And as we see these garments... And why Moses was being instructed to have these garments made, we get a better understanding on the responsibility of the high priest. And so we could see the role that the high priest serves in serving God and the people of God. And so we're not going to look at each component of the articles or the clothing that was told by God to Moses to be built. We're going to look at three of them because that will help us get an understanding of this role and the responsibilities of the high priest. We see in verse 6, the ephod, and they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen skillfully worked. And in this ephod, there were going to be two stones, and the stones were going to have the six names of the children of Israel on one stone and the six names of the children of Israel on the other stone. And the Lord goes on to let Aaron or let Moses know the purpose that these stones will serve in Aaron walking into the presence of God with these stones on his shoulder. Verse 12, 
And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So now, again, if you could recall a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that not every and anyone was allowed into the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. It was Aaron and his sons that would go into the holy place, and only Aaron, the high priest, could go into the most holy place. And so when Aaron goes into the holy place, he's going to have these stones on his shoulders with the 12 sons of Israel encompassing all of the nation, and he's going to bring the people in remembrance before their God. So Aaron walks into the holy place, and he is carrying the names of the people on his shoulders so that they might be remembered before God. And then there was the breast piece that Aaron was to wear. Verse 15 says, you shall make a breast piece of judgment and skilled work in the style of the ephod, you shall make it. And then these, this breast piece was to have 12 stones. And you can read through all the different stones, very valuable stones. So this wasn't just some shabby piece of material. It was gold, and then it had precious jewels in them, and these jewels had the names of the children of Israel inscribed on them. And so now Aaron is carrying the names of the children of Israel on this breast piece. And the Bible tells us here in verse 29 how this would serve the purposes of God and the people as Aaron walks into the holy place. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So now Aaron on his shoulders, he's bearing the names of the children of Israel. On his heart, this breast piece, he's bearing the judgment of the people of Israel. And there's one more piece of uh, article of this clothing that I'd like to point out, the turban, and more importantly, what was on the turban. Verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So now Aaron has this crown, if you will, this plate that says holy before the Lord. And he's bearing the guilt now of any of the sacrifices that the children of Israel should make. And by bearing this guilt because of the garments that he is wearing, the scriptures say that the sacrifices of the children of Israel might be accepted to the Lord. So we see Aaron serving in this priesthood by looking at the garments that the Lord required that he would wear, that his responsibility wasn't to have status, prestige, or try to make a name for himself. No, he was serving God by representing the people before a holy God, bearing the names of the people, bearing the judgment of the people, and bearing the guilt of the people so that they might be accepted before their creator. There's a lot of other things in here that I'd love to talk about regarding the garments, but at least we can get a good understanding of Aaron's role as high priest. He was a servant, a servant before God on behalf of the people so that the people might be accepted by their creator. But God doesn't only let us know the responsibilities. He also lets us know the requirement of the one who is to serve as priest. And we see that in chapter 29 where the Lord has this ceremony, a consecration ceremony that Aaron and his sons were to go through, but as the high priest, Aaron had something else that he had to go through in order to be in the position of high priest to be able to go into the holy of holies. 
So we see here in verse 1 of chapter 29, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. This word consecrate is the same word in other places we see translated holy. It means to set apart. So this is what you shall do to set Aaron apart and his sons apart that they may serve in my priesthood. God is saying. So this is not, again, a suggestion. This is not an idea. This is not, well, if you can find somebody that's pretty close to it. No, he says, this is a requirement. If someone is going to serve in my priesthood, this is what they must go through so that they can be worthy to serve in this role. And we jump down to verse 4. We see one of the first things that they must do after collecting the sacrifices that we'll touch on just a little bit in a moment. Verse 4 says, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. In verse 5, then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And then he talks about the turban and the crown. All of that's to be put on him. But first, Aaron needs to be washed and his sons. This is a ceremonial cleansing, right? a washing away of the filth, if you will. So before putting on these holy garments, Aaron and his sons needed to be washed with water. Some biblical scholars move into the New Testament and believe that that's where the baptism kind of got its genesis from, if you will, this washing, this cleansing, this ceremonial cleansing of filth off before putting on the holy. You couldn't come to God any kind of way. You needed to be cleaned. And so Aaron first and his sons need to be washed with water. And then after being washed with water, Aaron needed to be anointed. And this anointing isn't like what some of us may picture or may have experienced, you know, where you get a little dab of oil. And not that this is a bad thing, but this is probably what most of us have experienced. And you might put some oil on somebody's head or, you know, if someone's injured, you may put some oil on their injury and pray for them. However your experiences is, we may have had some different experiences with anointing oil. This anointing oil was different. It was a big vat, if you will, and you just poured it on. I mean, just coming down, as we said, like the, the oil coming off of Aaron's beard. I mean, you got to have a whole lot of oil so that it drips off your beard. You, you didn't just wash that out. So this was anointing oil, and we'll talk more about the anointing oil a little bit later. But when you put this anointing oil on, you knew you were anointed. It wasn't a question. He was drenched in the anointing oil of the Lord. And this was a requirement that Aaron had to go through as the high priest. So that we see here in the latter part of verse 9, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. It's like the inauguration ceremony that they might be put in position to now serve in this role. And then we see some verses that we did not read over, but again, I would encourage you to read over verses 10 through 20. Uh, we see these sacrifices that needed to be made. There was a sin offering. There was a burnt offering and there was a wave offering that needed to be made before the Lord on behalf of Aaron and his sons so that they can serve in this role. You could not, again, just come and serve God in this role, in this service, any kind of way. Sin offering, burnt offering, which was considered a pleasing aroma. It was a food offering to the Lord and then a wave offering, like a praise to the Lord. These were the sacrifices that needed to be given. And verse 21 tells us that this now would put Aaron, his sons, and the garments that they were wearing in a place where they could be set apart to serve God in this very important role. Verse 21 tells us as much. Verse 21b, he and his sons, he and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. They'll be set apart. So these aren't just your everyday yard outfit where you throw on your jeans or your shorts and you go out into the garden, you bend down on your knees. No, this is the good, the good clothes. You know, when you have that one event every year and you need to make sure you're ready, you put that outfit on, this was that outfit. It was special. It was to be used for a specific purpose because it was now holy. I don't care how much you like it. I don't care how good you think you look in it. You only put it on to serve in this purpose because it's holy to the Lord. And so now we see that a little bit better understanding that in order to serve in this capacity, you had to be cleaned. You had to be cleaned of your sins. And because Aaron and his sons 
were men just like you and I. They needed a sacrifice to go into the presence of the Lord. And God provided this process, this ceremony of cleansing, both physically and spiritually, so that Aaron and his sons could serve him as priests, and then Aaron can serve as the high priest. But there was one challenge with Aaron serving as high priest. Aaron could not continually care for the people in this way. He was prevented from always being present to go into the holy place, bearing the names of the people, the judgment of the people, and the guilt of the people that they might be accepted. And it wasn't simply because Aaron was a bad person, but it was because Aaron was a person. And so the scriptures let us know that God in his grace and his mercy, his infinite wisdom and care for his people will provide us with a permanent priesthood, a high priest that would be able to care for the people forever. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 7 and going into verse or chapter 8. Chapter 7 of Hebrews, starting at verse 23. The former priest, it would be Aaron, the high priest, his son Eleazar after him, his son, grandson Phineas after him, and the many other high priests that would continue to come, all of these high priests, the former priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, being Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. And looking at chapter 8, starting at verse 1, now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So what this is pointing us to is our high priest in Jesus. Now, again, you see the same role being identified. So that means that Jesus had the same responsibilities as the high priest that we just read in the Old Testament to bear the names of the people, to bear the, to bear the guilt of the people. But Jesus was different than Aaron, than Eleazar, than Phineas, and then all of the other high priests that would come. See, because what the scripture is telling us that if Jesus was on earth, that he wouldn't even be a priest. Because the word lets us know that Jesus came through the bloodline of Judah. And the priesthood that God had commanded in place that we see in Exodus 28 was for the bloodline of Aaron out of the tribe of Levi. So then if Jesus was going to be a priest from the earthly standpoint, he would have had to come through the bloodline of Aaron. But because he didn't, well, now he has a greater ministry, the scriptures are letting us know. He is a priest that's been appointed by God to take care of his people forever. And so unlike Aaron and Aaron's sons after him, Jesus goes in as high priest to serve the people to make sure that we're accepted, but in a completely different way. And that's what the word lets us know in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Jesus cleanse you and I? Jesus enters in as the high priest, not into the tabernacle that was made with hands, but into the true and greater tent. That was not made with hands. But not only does he enter in as as high priest, he also enters in as the perfect payment as well. He is the priest and the payment. And because of this fact, that's what we can go back to in chapter 7 of Hebrews and read here verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He does not have to cease from caring for the people. Unlike Aaron, he cares for us continually. He always lives to make intercession, to represent you to the Father, to bear your name, the judgment, and the guilt so that we might be accepted before a holy God. And this priesthood is permanent. See, Aaron... And his sons were very much like me. They were serving in their weakness. Their service was limited. They were not perfect. But Christ, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, was willing to put on this garment that we call flesh so that he might enter in on our behalf bearing your name, my name. It was written on his shoulder, Michael Darboos, bearing my judgment, bearing my guilt, and now saying, I will make the payment so that I don't have to, so that you don't have to. And then he doesn't just stop there, always living to keep that memory alive before the Father. I've got him covered. I know that he's not perfect. And I know that he's serving my purposes and he makes some mistakes, but I've got him covered. My blood is sufficient. Always making intercession. That word intercession gives the same picture that we see in the Old Testament repeated three times, bearing the name. Always making intercession, pleading for you, standing in the gap for you and for me. And the scriptures tell us because of this truth, Because of this great gift, if we come into Christ, through Christ, we are now cleansed from our sins. That this gift should be a game changer for our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that this is a great gift, that you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And it's not by any work of your own. You did not have to go through the consecration ceremony. So that you can serve as high priest and take in the sacrifice. Jesus went through it for you. And so if you come in through Christ, you receive this great gift. So now none of us can boast that we've done something. But as a result of receiving this great gift, I love how Paul moves into this next section. Listen, and may we all be captivated by the word of God. Verse 11 Ephesians chapter 2, therefore, because you received this great gift from our high priest and perfect payment, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Like, how do you lean into that after coming off of such a high and holy moment as you have this great gift? Let's just stay right there. You have this great gift, and now you're perfect, and you have to worry about nothing. No, he said, you have this great gift. Now I want you to remember how messy you were when God found you. You were separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, and without God in the world. And I need to sit in that for a moment. Right? Because if I continue to walk with God for a little while, 10, 20 years down the road, I just might be inclined to forget where God found me and think that I'm doing God a favor by preaching on Sundays, by sitting with people in their living room, by caring, by praying, like, like Lord, where, where do we need to go today? And forgetting that I need to enter in humble and lowly and say, Lord, I need you. So I just might think that I've done something. So Paul lets us know, no, you've got this great gift. Now I need you to remember before you receive this great gift, how bad it really was. Now, a problem for many of us is that we might remember that and stay stuck there. Paul doesn't say stay there. He says, remember that. And now hold on to this. Verse 13, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think Joe Mar is going to be right. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, because this is true, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Listen, people of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation, and it's a firm foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the one who's holding it all together, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We were a wretch undone. But now, because of Christ, we are citizens. Citizens. We were separated and alienated. Now we're sons and daughters of the Most High God because of Christ Jesus. See, it can be such great news, but it can, can feel like old news. Where we forget how great a joy that is to be sons and daughters, to be considered accepted by God. That word wrecked me in the best of ways on Friday because I remember trying to live this life for approval, trying to be more than enough. And we all have that story at some point in time, striving fighting, just looking to, to make it, trying to fit in. I mean, from grade school to adulthood, right? You find yourself trying to fit in with a peer group here, just trying to, to make it with this group here, trying to satisfy that group here, sometimes to the point where it's like, who am I anyway? Like, I'm trying to remember, what are my interests? I don't even know. I have this chameleon lifestyle because I'm trying to fit in. And the Word lets us know that in Christ, we don't have to strive. We are accepted because of our high priest who bears our name, our judgment, and our guilt. 
and who is now well able because he is God the Son to enter into the holy places, not made with hands. You and I don't have to do it in our own strength. So here's what the scriptures tell us. I'm just going to read a couple of passages, though I could just keep on reading. But just a couple. First Peter chapter 2 says this about you and I as sons and daughters, those who have been accepted. Verse 4 and 5, as you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then jumping down to verse 9, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You now and I, because of Jesus Christ, are that priesthood. Just like Aaron and his sons, the Bible says we are a chosen people. And we now are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We've been cleansed by the blood. We've gone through the consecration ceremony. We can now serve the purposes of God, and we've been freed up now to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of that messy state that we can very well remember and to proclaim that marvelous light that we now are possessors of, not because of anything that you did or I did, but because of what Christ, our high priest, was willing to do. You are now called chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's chosen possession. Romans says it this way. Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Come to Jesus. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. That's the gender-neutral sense of the word, sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Because of Jesus, we now can call the creator of the universe Father. And this is a very personal and intimate term that we see here for father. It's like what you might call, if, if you had a, a personal name for your dad, you might not call him father. Maybe you said pops or poppy, whatever the, the endearing term was for you and your dad. This is very personal. In other words, you're not some distant and far off being. You're somebody who I know very intimately and I sit on your lap and I, I get held by you and I just nestle in and feel comforted and safe in your presence. You're my daddy. And you're also the creator and the sustainer of life. And because that's true, because we're accepted, you're an heir. Did you catch that? You are an heir. All right, you didn't catch it. One more time. You are an heir. Thank you. You're an heir to the throne with Christ. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm not, it's not you, it's me. I can say it's just, per, I just, I feel it in my soul. Right? Because if this is true, people of God, then the songs that we just sang, there's nothing worth more. There's nothing that compares. I've tasted and seen. And I'm not looking for other things. You can spend billions of dollars on your marketing campaign and your advertising. I don't need it. I've got the throne. Stop. I I just, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. How, Lord? Because, see, I remember where he found me. 
I know that we come, we come to know each other later in our lives. But I, got, I say it not to try and speak ill of myself, but I just want to understand the grace of God. If you met me in my early 20s, you would cross the street. I was the kid on the New York City subway making people want to cross to the next track because it was just noisy and obnoxious. No consideration for other people. I would not be in the house of God today. I'd be in somebody else's house who they would tell me when I can use the bathroom and when I can shower. But now, because of Christ, not only am I not in a state that I would have been in, I am an heir with Christ. I don't have to prove myself to you. I don't have to try to earn it. My high priest bears my name, my judgment, and my guilt. And he says, son, son, daughter, you are accepted. Listen, try and wind this thing down, but I feel wound up. I don't want us to be lulled to sleep in the environment that we're in. This area, and I'm just going to be real specific because we're in a specific area. The woodlands would have you to think, and it's more so the world system, that if you get, then you've got all that you need. And you just got to keep striving. You just got to prove yourself to your coworkers and your colleagues. You just got to prove yourself to your bosses so that you can feel like you deserve to have the job. You just got to work a little bit hard to make sure that you could fit in. Just don't say certain things so that you can, you know, you could just go with the flow and, and everything would be nice, happy, and you can, you can play in the sandbox. Right? They would have us to think that if I can get some Tesla or if I can get some Maserati or if I can get some Mercedes Benz, if I can get the house on the beach and the house in the mountains and the house in the valley and then just have a, a, a condo in the city, that then, then maybe. But you know just as well as I do that all of those things never satisfy. You get it and then you feel empty after you've gotten it and you keep chasing after more things. And Jesus is letting us know that he is our peace. He is our peace. Our peace is not in possessions. Our peace is in a person. If you write something down, that's a good one to write down. Because I wasn't even thinking about that just a moment. I was like, man, that is good right there. Someone catch that because I need to remember that. Our peace is in a person. But we keep pursuing possessions. Right, because people invest billions of dollars. I mean, you go into the grocery store, they're playing a certain kind of music so that you'll stay a little bit longer. And isn't it interesting how one month you can find the ketchup, but the next month it's nowhere to be found? It's like, where did they put the ketchup? Right, they keep moving stuff around because they want you to stay just a little bit longer. Everything is strategic. They want your money. But the devil, as you know, he wants your soul. And if you keep chasing after other things, you'll miss that you've already got everything you need. Right? And I needed that. I need that. Because there's a part of me that feels like I could never be enough to stand and preach the word of God. Like I need an a MDiv, a PhD, and I need something else. And I need more and more and more. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but if any of those things make us feel confident, then those things have become bad. And this is why this word ministered to me, because Aaron was ministering in his weakness, and yet because he was consecrated, chosen, called, God used him. And that's our story today. We've been consecrated by the blood of Christ, people of God. Stop pursuing lesser things. Jesus, our high priest and perfect payment, has paved the way. Now, all we have to do, what we read in scripture after scripture after scripture, is not try to figure it out or earn it on our own. It's come to him because it's in him and through him that we've got everything that we need. I want to invite the praise team to come back up. Or else I'm going to go for 30 more minutes.
This to me is the most high and holy moment of the sermon. Because there's a lot of things that we can say. I can, I promise you, I can go for hours. Because it's just so full. And there's so much in the word of God. And so in the few fleeting moments that we had, the way that the Lord just impressed it on my heart is that that's just a softening for what he's getting ready to do in these next two minutes. Because it's the Holy Spirit that changes our lives. Right? And so I love to just take a couple of minutes where you can go before the throne of grace, the mercy seat, and have a conversation with Jesus. Right? Talk to the Father. What things have you been pursuing looking for peace? That's a problem. And I want to take that to you, Jesus. See, the beauty in knowing that our high priest is continually making intercession for us is that we don't have to be riddled with guilt and shame. We can humbly come into the throne of grace because our high priest always lives to make intercession for us. So this is not a beatdown. This is not a shakedown. This is a humble plea and cry to come to the high priest and not to strive in your own strength. So think for the next couple of moments, what are some of the things that you've been pursuing looking for peace? And may we be a people that are willing to repent and not try to act like we're perfect and don't need the blood of Jesus. He knows us. And as good as you look on this morning, he knows your thoughts and your heart. Makes you feel a little bit exposed. Doesn't like, oh, stop. Right. <clears throat> so then let's not pretend. Let's be broken over the things that we have done that don't align with God. And may that compel us to come to our high priest who bears our name, our judgment, and our guilt. And say, Father, forgive me. And then what are you going to do? So that you might be captivated anew. To know that he really is all that you need. Right, so you and Jesus, for the next two minutes, if it's for you to sit and that's a good spot for you, if you need to kneel, if you want to stand, if you need to go find a quiet corner, just you and Jesus. It's very personal. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to each and every one of our hearts because he knows what we need personally. Come to him, to your high priest, and allow him to intercede and meet you at the point of your need.